decision. The White House does believe that they can push through this $33 billion, which is more. And so that's what she just said at the White House, that they're very confident that they can get this. Russia threatens to widen gas shutoffs to more countries after cutting service to Poland and Bulgaria. It comes as no surprise that the Kremlin uses fossil fuels to try to blackmail us. This is something the European Commission has been preparing for. And a new report warns climate change will result in thousands of new viruses, especially in Africa and Asia. We'll have these stories and more next on International Edition. Stay tuned. President Joe Biden has requested an additional $33 billion from Congress to help Ukraine continue its resistance to thousands of Russian forces pounding several cities as the Kremlin's invasion intensifies. The money is expected to last for five months and would be a big boost in U.S. efforts to bolster Kyiv in the war that's showing no signs of ending anytime soon. The proposal has more than $20 billion in military assistance for Ukraine. Biden is also seeking new powers to seize and repossess the assets of Russian oligarchs. For more, I spoke with VOA's White House correspondent, Anita Powell. Well, White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki just noted that the so far $13.6 billion worth of funding for the Ukraine effort went through Congress without too many hitches with bipartisan support. And so the White House does believe that they can push through this $33 billion, which is more than twice as much, with equal ease. And so that's what she just said at the White House, that they're very confident that they can get this. Looks like the U.S. is in what analysts are saying, all in, in this battle to uh, help Ukraine resist the Russian invasion. Any indication as to what changed the mind of the administration in going for this large chunk of money? The way that Saki kind of explained it earlier was that at the beginning of this conflict, without as much perspective on what Russia would do, just remember that in December, in January, it was thought by U.S. intelligence that Russia kind of intended to take Kiev very quickly and have this done and dusted within a couple of weeks. And that proved not to be the case. I think Russia was surprised. Intelligence agencies found out, and the Russians, of course, also found out. The Ukrainians were able to score kind of unexpected wins against the Russians, including what we now think is probably a Ukrainian victory in the Battle of Kiev, and also uh, the sinking of the flagship Russian warship. So this may have gone on longer than was initially thought. The Russians have started a new phase now, focusing on the east of Ukraine. And so this this conflict has gone on longer than thought. I think that that's one of the reasons that this has changed. The U.S. says that they're in lockstep with the Ukrainians. They're, they're listening to the Ukrainians and what they need and what they think they need. One hint of what the Ukrainians seem to possibly need more of will come next week when President Biden visits Alabama to visit a factory that is making javelin missiles. These are very, very large missiles. So it sounds like that's probably on the cards. Those cost a pretty penny. What is in this package? Is there anything different, anything new that might help Ukraine? It's weaponry, military assistance, economic aid, and humanitarian assistance. So this is a multifaceted plan, of which $20 billion is weaponry and military assistance. We've seen some pretty impressive weapons go into Ukraine already. We're talking about those Javelin anti-tank missiles, 16 helicopters, countless, countless bullets, body armor, things like that. So one imagines it's going to be some of the same, but also maybe some of these higher value items like the javelins. There were concerns earlier by the administration that giving Ukraine a lot at the same time might be counterproductive because some of their forces will need training on some of these materials. Is training part of this package? 
That is certainly what the Pentagon is doing, for example, with howitzers. They've been training the Ukrainian military how to use these rather difficult, tricky weapons, dangerous weapons. So training of Ukrainian forces is almost certain to continue. That's VOA's White House correspondent Anita Powell speaking with me from Washington. NATO Secretary General Jens Stoltenberg said on Thursday the alliance is ready to keep up its support for Ukraine in the war against Russia for years. That includes helping Kyiv to advance from old Soviet-era weapons to modern Western military equipment. His remarks came after the Kremlin warned that Western arms supplies to Ukraine, including heavy weapons, pose a threat to the security of the European continent. Most of the heavy weapons NATO countries have sent to Ukraine so far are Soviet-built arms still in the inventories of Eastern European member states, but the United States and some other allies have started to supply Kyiv with Western howitzers. So we will continue to put the maximum pressure on President Putin uh, to end the war by imposing sanctions, by providing economic support, but also military support to, to Ukraine. And we need to be prepared for the long term. It's a very unpredictable and fragile situation in uh, Ukraine, but there is absolutely the possibility that this war will drag on and last for months and years. NATO allies are preparing to provide support over a long period of time and also help Ukraine to move from old Soviet-era equipment to more modern uh, NATO uh, standard uh, weapons and systems that will also require more uh, training. That's NATO Secretary General Jens Stoltenberg. Kremlin spokesman Dmitry Peskov commenting on remarks about arming Ukraine from British Foreign Secretary Liz Truss said on Thursday that giving Kyiv heavy weapons will threaten the security of Europe. Peskov also said that Russia will wait and see how billionaire Elon Musk's ownership of Twitter would affect the platform, adding that he doubted Western social media were capable of reflecting different points of view. Musk on Monday reached a deal to acquire Twitter for $44 billion. Finland's Prime Minister Sanna Marin said on Thursday in Athens, her country will decide, quote, soon, unquote, on whether to join the NATO alliance and urge more sanctions against Russia energy imports. Russia's invasion, which it calls, quote, a special operation, unquote, has forced Sweden and Finland to reassess their long-standing military neutrality, and they are expected to announce in May whether they will join the U.S.-led alliance. The fundamental aim is to guarantee peace for Finland also in the future. We are already very able to act with NATO thanks to our close partnership. We have participated with NATO in many international operations during over two decades. I wish to thank Greece for its consistent support of deepening our NATO partnership. This partnership makes us ready to join NATO if we decide so. Our message to NATO allies is this. If Finland would join NATO, we will contribute to the security of the whole alliance. That's Finland's Prime Minister Sanaa Marin. Russia threatens to widen natural gas shutoffs to more countries after cutting service to Poland and Bulgaria. European Union Energy Minister Sede Blak is unified and is preparing new sanctions against Russia. But will that unity last? For VOA, Lisa Bryant reports from Paris.
On Wednesday, Russia cut off natural gas supplies to European Union member states Poland and Bulgaria after warning so-called unfriendly countries would have to pay for gas in rubles. The move is seen as a Russian effort to prop up its currency, as most of its EU energy contracts are paid for in dollars or euros. EU members responded coolly to Russia's warning. Some of the toughest language came from European Commission chief Ursula von der Leyen. It comes as no surprise that the Kremlin uses fossil fuels to try to blackmail us. This is something the European Commission has been preparing for in close coordination and solidarity with member states and international partners. Our response will be immediate, united and coordinated. The Russian action comes as European and other Western nations ramp up military support to Kyiv and sanctions against Russia for its invasion of Ukraine. EU member states have already agreed to phase out Russian coal imports. Germany now says it could also handle a possible Russian oil embargo, which the bloc is now discussing. But there are no immediate plans to cut off Russian gas. Lundi, une réunion des ministres de l'énergie à, à Bruxelles. Speaking to French TV Thursday, Foreign Minister Jean-Yves Le Drian of France, whose country currently holds the rotating EU presidency, said a meeting Monday of EU energy ministers aims to find ways to help Poland and Bulgaria get through a difficult period. Brussels also says a new package of Russian sanctions is expected soon. For now, Poland and Bulgaria are considered to have enough gas for their needs, either stored or acquired from other EU members. Less certain is what happens when colder weather hits or if Russia halts energy exports to other countries like Germany or Italy. That's a concern expressed by German lawmaker Jens Fischer of the conservative Christian Democratic Union Party in an interview on France 24 TV. For the summer, we are probably good and we have enough supplies of gas as well. The next winter is going to be when it bites and also when the war drags on. And I think that will be a completely different scenario and question. Hopefully we have some solutions by then. Other European politicians also worry about the fallout of sanctions if the war drags on. Already, the price of some staples, like Ukraine-sourced sunflower oil, is rising in places like France, where recent presidential elections focused on cost-of-living issues. Lisa Bryant for VOA News, Paris. In other news, a new study says climate change will result in thousands of new viruses spread among animal species by 2070 and is likely to increase the risk of emerging infectious diseases jumping from animals to humans, especially in Africa and Asia. Those continents have been hot spots for deadly diseases spread from humans to animals or vice versa over the last several decades. This include the flu, HIV, Ebola and coronavirus. Researchers examine how mammal species might migrate and share viruses across species over the next 50 years if the world warms by 20 degrees Celsius. They found that cross-species virus spread will happen over 4,000 times among mammals. For more on this story and other breaking news, visit our website at vonews.com. Remember to connect with us on social media. We are on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Search for VOA Africa. You are listening to VOA's International Edition. I am Chinedwafo in Washington. A British environmental group warns the war in Ethiopia's Tigray region is driving deforestation. It says blockades limiting fuel and aid to the region 
have forced Tigrayans to chop down trees, worsening food shortages in a region the UN says is already at a risk of farming. Harry Wilkins reports from Kombolcha, Ethiopia. Tigray has been under a de facto humanitarian blockade for more than nine months now, with Ethiopian government forces and rebels accusing each other of preventing aid from reaching the war-torn region. The UN says one of the worst humanitarian crises in the world is taking place inside Tigray, with an acute lack of food. Ordinary Tigrayans are said to be desperate to find resources for day-to-day living. A report by the UK-based non-profit group The Conflict and Environment Observatory says the war and lack of aid in Tigray is having a serious impact on the environment that could cause problems for Tigrayans for decades. By analysing satellite images in Tigray, the report concludes conflict-driven deforestation is happening at an alarming rate. Trees play a major role in conserving soil and water to produce food. Aid agencies have warned that parts of Tigray are already close to famine. Henrique Schultz is the author of the report and a conservation scientist at the Zoological Society of London. She says conflict-driven deforestation usually happens for two reasons. One is the breakdown of environmental governance. So, for instance, if in a war zone, protected areas are no longer effectively protected and people can move in and remove vegetation, deforestation can also occur as a result of increases in demand for forest resources. Raphael Adu is the African Program Manager at the Environmental Investigation Agency, a Washington-based non-profit group. He says rebel groups in Africa frequently turn to logging as a source of funding. Conflicts and deforestation represent one of the great threats to the sustainable development in Africa. Illegal logging, which is one of the ways to get quickly money. As the forest has become the source for the rebels to buy weapon, they always cut the tree from the forest. He adds that anywhere there's a conflict, very high rates of deforestation emerge too. In recent years, there's been a successful effort to rebuild forests in Tigray to assist development and the economy, as well as food security. The report says the effort is now facing a setback. However, the people in Tigray may be more concerned about survival in the short term. The UN says 9.4 million people in the north of Ethiopia, including Tigray and parts of the neighbouring Afar and Amhara regions, require humanitarian aid. Schultz says that the best way to stop the deforestation is to stop the conflict. But even then, the environmental damage will take decades to undo. Henry Wilkins for VOA News, Kombolcha, Ethiopia. Internet search giant Google announced this month it is opening its first product development center in Africa to be based in Kenya's capital, Nairobi. The California-based firm plans to invest $1 billion in the next five years to target the continent's fast-growing online market. Mohamed Yusuf reports from VOA's Africa News Center in Nairobi. California-based Google wants to get a bigger share of Africa's growing online population, which is expected to top 800 million by 2030. The company is setting up a product development center in Nairobi that is scheduled to open next year and will employ more than 100 people. Charles Morita is the head of government affairs and public policy for sub-Saharan Africa at Google. 
He says the investment will create many opportunities within Africa's tech sector. The, the product development center is going to be one that works to create transformative products and services um, for people right here on the continent, as well as creating products for the rest of the world. And so the announcement last week was really just a kickoff uh, in terms of the hiring process uh, for the people that are going to be working in this product development center for Africa. And that will include um, roles such as uh, product managers, UX designers and researchers, as well as engineers. And this are really just the starting point of the work that we're going to be doing. He says the investment will create many opportunities within Africa's tech sector. The multinational technology company said its mission is to make the world's information universally accessible and create a product that works well for Africans. Bitange Demo is a former principal secretary of Kenya's Information, Communication and Technology Ministry. He says the government needs to train more of its youth to benefit from the Google Center. I think it's a wonderful investment in the sense that uh, it's going to help uh, to reduce the problem of unemployment in this country. But what tells the Kenyan government is that they must begin to invest in uh, skilling and reskilling young people so that they can meet they can meet the demand. Already, the demand for such skills exceeds supply locally. Google has trained over 80,000 certified developers from Africa in the past few years. The firm is investing $1 billion in projects over the next five years to help with the development of Africa internet economy. Murito says the investment will transform Africa. It's the opportunity around creating products that work best for Africans at large. And therefore, whether you're thinking about products uh, on financial inclusion or other sectors of economy, we believe that by having a product development center right here on the continent, we'll be able to know firsthand what the challenges are and also be able to create um, products that will service and, and, and solve for some of those challenges. Microsoft has also invested in Kenya, hiring hundreds of engineers from the East African nation. The content comes with its own challenges for businesses because some countries lack good governance and the rule of law, and that creates an uncertain environment for investments. Some nations have turned off the internet to silence their citizens. Murito says his organization works with African governments to encourage innovation and develop policies that will sustain innovation. Mohamed Yusuf for VA News, Nairobi. The World Health Organization warns that vaccine-preventable diseases are spreading across Africa because routine immunizations against killer diseases have been disrupted by COVID-19 pandemic. Lisa Schlein reports for VOA from Geneva. Tens of millions of people have missed out on routine immunization services. That not only puts their lives at risk from potentially deadly diseases, but creates an environment in which killer diseases can thrive and spread. Benito Impuma is Director for Communicable and Non-Communicable Diseases in the World Health Organization's Regional Office for Africa. He says the pandemic has put a huge strain on health systems. It has impaired routine immunization services in many African countries and forced the suspension of vaccination drives. 
over the past year. He says outbreaks of vaccine-preventable diseases have increased across the continent. For instance, between January and March of this year, around 70,000 cases of measles were recorded. This sees a 400% increase compared with the same period last year. 24 countries in our region confirmed outbreaks of variant of polio last year, which is four times more than in 2020. He notes that outbreaks of other vaccine-preventable diseases, such as yellow fever, also are surging. The World Health Organization and UNICEF recently issued a report warning of a heightened risk of vaccine-preventable diseases. They attribute it in large part to increasing inequalities in access to vaccines due to pandemic-related disruptions. They express particular concern about a worldwide spike in measles cases, which have increased by 79% in the first two months of this year. They noted that most cases were reported in Africa and in eastern Mediterranean regions. Impuma says WHO is working to improve immunization coverage and protection for children. Lisa Schlein for VOA News, Geneva. Hello, I'm Carol Castiel, host of Press Conference USA. Next up, we feature a conversation with Congressman Michael Waltz, a Republican from the state of Florida, about his views on U.S. foreign policy and a Q&A between my Ukrainian colleague, Tatiana Voroshko, and renowned historian and author Anne Applebaum about her recent meeting in Kiev with Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky. That's Press Conference USA this Saturday and Sunday on The Voice of America. This has been International Edition on The Voice of America. On behalf of the entire production team, thank you so much for listening. Visit our website for in-depth coverage of world events and news 24 hours a day at voanews.com. Until next time, I am Gina Dwarfan Washington, wishing you a great weekend. Next, an editorial reflecting the views of the United States government. Addressing the challenge of mass migration in the Western Hemisphere remains a priority for the United States, declared Secretary of State Antony Blinken at the Ministerial Conference on Migration and Protection in Panama. We have a strong interest in protecting the security of our borders in a safe, orderly, and humane way, he said. We care about the well-being of millions of people across the hemisphere who have made the desperate decision to leave their homes and communities in search of a better life. The journeys are often dangerous. Migrants are vulnerable to exploitation of all kinds. Many are children, and their fates, their futures, are highly uncertain. We have a shared responsibility to look out for them. The United States is focused on the underlying issues that are pushing so many people to become migrants in the first place, including poverty, a lack of economic opportunity, corruption, political upheaval, and insecurity, all of which has been made worse by the climate crisis and COVID-19. The United States is committed to working with other nations to take on migrant smuggling networks, improve humane and effective border management, counter information, and develop legal pathways for immigrants and refugees seeking a safe place to call home. 
In particular, said Secretary Blinken, we have to work together to help stabilize and strengthen communities that are hosting large populations of migrants. We have to help them get the tools that they need to rebuild their lives, including access to jobs and education. And we have to make sure that our support directly benefits the communities themselves with increased resources for public health and safety, social services, better infrastructure, opportunity for everyone. This is a job for governments of the region, but also for NGOs, the private sector, multilateral development and financial institutions, and regional and global public health and climate agencies. The United States will help bring together these different groups and leverage all of their contributions to this challenge. There are more people around the world on the move, displaced from their homes than at any time since the Second World War. Some 95 billion people, said Secretary Blinken. This is a challenge that we have to stand together to meet, work together to meet, and join together to meet. That was an editorial reflecting the views of the United States government. Listen to the sunny side of sports. Great show, bro. This is sunny side of sports. Right here on the Voice of America. Voice of America. Sporty greetings to all our Voice of America listeners.